This is the JPGN Podcast for May of 2009. I'm James Liu. This podcast will outline selected articles from this month's issue of the Journal of Pediatric Gastroenterology and Nutrition. For more information and to access the complete articles, please visit us online at www.jpgn.org or visit our society webpage at www.naspagan.org. Our first article is a review entitled Pruritus Ani, an approach to an itching condition by Sturmer et al. Pruritus ani is frequently encountered in children by the primary care physician and the pediatrician. It is mainly due to an infection with pinworms, but fecal soiling, poor hygiene, local irritation, and dietary agents should also be considered. Treatment should be directed at the underlying etiology. Once these have been excluded, both general and specific measures must be initiated. There is almost no experience for local treatment modalities in children, and they cannot currently be recommended. Our next article is entitled, Peptide YY Induces Intestinal Proliferation in Peptide YY Knockout Mice with Total Enteral Nutrition After Massive Small Bowel Resection, by Ju et al. Previous evidence has demonstrated that rats with massive small bowel resections receiving feeds do not demonstrate significant intestinal proliferation when being treated with high doses of peptide YY. A possible reason for this finding is the interference by endogenous production of peptide YY in this model. As a result, the authors in this manuscript used peptide YY knockout mice to evaluate this possibility. Mice were assigned into three experimental groups, a sham group, a small bowel resection group, and a small bowel resection peptide YY group. All of these groups received total enteral nutrition. The first group, the sham mice, underwent bowel transection and reanastomosis. The second group, the small bowel resection mice, underwent a 50% small bowel resection only. Finally, the small bowel resection peptide YY mice underwent the same resection and were treated with peptide YY. Enterocyte proliferation and apoptosis were determined on day 8 following surgery. The small bowel resection peptide YY mice demonstrated a comparative significant increase in bowel and mucosal weights, villus height, and crypt depth in the jejunum and ileum. Also, these mice demonstrated a decreased villus cell apoptotic index in the ileum. In conclusion, in a small bowel resection model of peptide YY knockout mice, peptide YY with total enteral nutrition induces proliferation of residual intestine. Our next article is entitled, Methotrexate Treatment in Pediatric Crohn's Disease Patients Intolerant or Resistant to Purine Analogs by Weiss et al. Immunomodulatory drugs play a major role in maintaining remission and sparing steroid use in children with Crohn's disease. Thiopurine agents are commonly used in treatment of this disease, but patients are sometimes unresponsive or intolerant of them. The usefulness of methotrexate in maintenance of remission has been demonstrated in adults, but pediatric data is limited. The goal of this study was to evaluate the efficacy and safety of methotrexate in children with Crohn's disease who failed therapy with thiopurine agents. This was a retrospective, multi-center study involving 25 children with Crohn's disease. The mean age of diagnosis of these patients was about 11 years, plus or minus 3 years. 
Methotrexate was initiated at about 14 years of age, plus or minus 3 years. The median methotrexate dose was 12.5 milligrams per meter squared of body surface area. Using the Harvey Bradshaw Activity Index to assess remission and response, remission was achieved in 64% of patients and response was seen in 24% of patients. 18 patients were treated for longer than 6 months and 83% of these patients were in remission or response a year later. The mean duration of remission and response was about 11 months, plus or minus 9 months. Steroid withdrawal was possible in 12 of the 16 patients who were receiving steroids at methotrexate introduction. Adverse effects included nausea and vomiting, elevation in liver enzymes, and pancreatitis. In conclusion, methotrexate is beneficial in maintaining remission and sparing steroid treatment in children with Crohn's disease following failure of thiopurine therapy. Our next article is entitled, Polymorphisms in the IBD-5 locus are associated with Crohn's disease in pediatric Ashkenazi Jewish patients by Tomer et al. This study analyzed the IBD-5 locus in a homogenous cohort of Ashkenazi Jewish children with Crohn's disease. 83 Ashkenazi Jewish children with Crohn's disease and 73 Ashkenazi Jewish healthy controls were studied. Genotyping for single nucleotide polymorphisms were performed using the TACMAN system. The single nucleotide polymorphisms included OCTN1, OCTN2, IGR2096, IGR2198, and IGR2230 genes. NOD2 CARD15 variants were also subtyped using established methods. All IBD5 single nucleotide polymorphisms tested were in linkage disequilibrium and showed significant association with Crohn's disease in this cohort of Ashkenazi Jewish children. The IGR2096 polymorphism, which is not located within the same linkage disequilibrium block as the OCTN1 and 2 polymorphisms, showed an even stronger association with Crohn's disease. Patients with Crohn's who had the OCTN1 susceptibility allele were more likely to carry one of the three NOD2 CARD15 polymorphisms tested, with an odds ratio of 4.8. This study showed a significant association between the IBD5 locus and Crohn's disease in a homogenous cohort of pediatric Ashkenazi Jewish patients. Due to the tight linkage disequilibrium in the region, it is not possible to identify the causative IBD5 variant. Our next article is entitled, Bone Health in Children with Inflammatory Bowel Disease, Adjusting for Bone Age, by Hill et al. Clinical results of bone mineral density for children with inflammatory bowel disease are commonly reported using reference data for chronological age. It is known that these children, particularly those with Crohn's disease, suffer from delayed growth and maturation. Therefore, it is more appropriate to compare clinical results with bone age rather than chronological age. This study measured areal bone mineral density using DEXA and bone age using the Tanner Whitehouse 3 method from a standard hand-wrist x-ray. A total of 44 children ages 8 to 17 years were included in this study. Areal bone density measurements were converted to z-scores using both chronological age and bone age. The z-scores calculated using bone age, as opposed to chronological age, were significantly improved for both the total body and lumbar spine regions of interest. When subjects were grouped according to diagnosis, 
bone-age-generated z-scores remain significantly improved for those with Crohn's disease, but not for those with ulcerative colitis. Grouping of children with Crohn's into younger and older ages produced significantly higher z-scores using bone-age, compared with chronological age. This was true for the older group, but not for the younger age group. This study suggests that areal bone mineral density results in children with Crohn's disease should include consideration of bone age rather than chronological age. Bone size, although not as easily available, would also be an important consideration for interpreting results in pediatric populations. Our next article is entitled Pharmacological Interventions for Non-Alcoholic Fatty Liver Disease in Adults and in Children by Socha et al. Uncertainty exists regarding the treatment of patients with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease who are unable to lose weight and or change their lifestyles. The purpose of this article was to determine the safety and effectiveness of pharmacological and dietary supplements in the treatment of NAFLD. This study reviewed 13 adult randomized control trials and two pediatric randomized control trials in order to draw conclusions about the efficacy of various treatments for NAFLD. A significant effect on normalization of ALT was found in patients treated with metformin compared with vitamin E and in those treated with high-dose carnitine versus diet. In contrast, there was no difference in patients treated with pioglitazone combined with vitamin E versus vitamin E alone, ursodiol combined with vitamin E or alone versus placebo, or ursodiol versus combination of vitamin E and vitamin C. No effect was found compared to placebo in patients treated with vitamin E, probucol, N-acetylcysteine, low doses of carnitine, or yojoshiko, a Chinese herbal antioxidant. AST normalization was significantly higher in those treated with ursodiol combined with vitamin E versus ursodiol or placebo, and in those treated with metformin. Small numbers of subjects, high dropout rates, and numerous interventions in one study limit the value of many studies. Only seven randomized controlled trials analyzed biopsy specimens, but most of them have significant methodological limitations. Pioglitazone reduced liver necrosis and inflammation in one large study. The authors conclude that limited data do not allow one to draw firm conclusions on the efficacy of various treatments for NAFLD. Our next article is entitled Trends in Non-Alcoholic Fatty Liver Disease-Related Hospitalizations in U.S. Children, Adolescents, and Young Adults by Kobnik et al. The researchers' goal was to assess trends of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and obesity over time amongst hospitalized U.S. males versus females aged 6 to 25 years. Data was collected using National Hospital Discharge Survey information from 1986 to 2006 and contrasted between the first two years and last two years with respect to disease rates. The researchers found that hospitalization rates increased significantly for NAFLD and obesity. With respect to gender, hospitalization rates were significantly higher for females with NAFLD or obesity as compared to males during the most recent two years of the NHDS data. The authors conclude that this increase in NAFLD and obesity-related hospitalizations amongst young Americans could be a consequence of the obesity epidemic or a result of increased screening for liver disease. 
Our next article is entitled, In Vitro Effects of Sera from Children with Acute Liver Failure on Metabolic and Synthetic Activity of Cryopreserved Human Hepatocytes by Mitri et al. The objective of the study was to examine the metabolic and synthetic in vitro activity of cryopreserved human hepatocytes when serum from children with acute liver failure who had received N-acetylcysteine was added. Cryopreserved human hepatocytes were plated on collagen-coated culture plates. They were then incubated in cell culture medium containing pooled sera obtained from the following three groups, children with acute liver failure who received treatment with NAC, children with acute liver failure who received no treatment with NAC, and lastly, from normal controls. The effects of the sera on cell metabolic functions were then assessed using MTT carbon-14 leucine incorporation and cytochrome P450 activity assays. The results demonstrated that the overall hepatocyte metabolic activity was lower in acute liver failure sera compared with the sera of both the controls as well as the sera from patients with acute liver failure treated with NAC. Carbon-14 leucine incorporation was higher in both pooled acute liver failure groups compared to controls. There was also a slightly higher cytochrome P450 activity in cultures treated with both acute liver failure and acute liver failure with N-acetylcysteine sera compared to control sera-treated hepatocyte cultures. In conclusion, sera from children with acute liver failure who received N-acetylcysteine did not impair the overall cell metabolic activity of cryopreserved human hepatocytes in vitro. This is encouraging for the use of hepatocyte transplantation in these patients. Our final article is a short communication entitled Capsule Endoscopy in the Evaluation of Patients with Unexplained Growth Failure by Moy and Levine. Poor weight gain and growth can be caused by many medical, nutritional, behavioral, and psychological factors. Crohn's disease is one of the more common gastrointestinal etiologies associated with growth failure. The aim of this study is to determine the role of capsule endoscopy in the evaluation of older children and adolescents who were referred to pediatric gastroenterology for a chief complaint of unexplained growth failure. The authors retrospectively reviewed the records of children with growth failure undergoing capsule endoscopy between November of 2002 to November of 2005. Height and weight expressed as z-scores were recorded at least six months prior to the study, at the time of the study, and at least six months post-study. All patients who had celiac disease and Crohn's disease were excluded. Seven children were included in the study with a mean age of 11.7 years. Indications for capsule endoscopy were growth failure associated with either abdominal pain, diarrhea, and aphthous ulcers, delayed puberty, or a family history of Crohn's disease. The mean z-score for weight at the time of the study was negative 2.1 and for height was negative 1.5. Prior to the capsule endoscopy, all seven children had a normal small bowel series. All had both endoscopically and histologically normal EGDs and colonoscopies. In four out of seven subjects, multiple small bowel aphthous ulcerations consistent with Crohn's disease were identified by capsule endoscopy. All four patients who had abnormal capsule endoscopy were treated and started gaining weight. The mean z-score for weight after six months of treatment was negative 1.35 and for height was negative 
The mean z-score for weight after treatment was significantly improved compared with the mean z-score at diagnosis. In conclusion, four of the seven older children and adolescents with unexplained growth failure and normal small bowel series were found to have Crohn's disease involving the small intestine. In addition, the authors were able to show the improvement on the mean z-score for weight after treatment for small bowel Crohn's disease was instituted. This concludes the JPGN podcast for May 2009. The executive producer is Daniel Gelfond. The editor-in-chief of JPGN is Eric Sibley. The JPGN podcast is recorded by the Pediatric GI Fellows of Stanford University. For more information and to access the full articles, please visit us online at www.jpgn.org or visit our society webpage at www.naspagan.org. I'm James Liu. Thank you.